Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome into Mining Stock Daily. Uh, we are recording this episode uh, less than an hour away from the market close, uh, and we have a lot to cover today. I, I will get into some of the uh, the numbers uh, looking at precious metals uh, with our friend here from National Investor, Chris Temple. Uh, Chris, uh, you and I have about a half a dozen bullet points we need to get through, so we're just going to jump right into it. But uh, it's been an eventful week, hasn't it? It has. Uh, we've we've seen the market quickly uh, over the weekend go from uh, looking as though we were going to have a more extended correction in the most overheated sectors to all at once. Uh, and frankly, the Treasury market being the most important element of this in not selling off any further. Now we've flipped in the other direction and we've got uh, counter trend rallies in the NASDAQ. We've got bounces in downtrends for both Treasuries and gold. And they may go for several days or even a few weeks, depending on a few uh, things. The gold particularly and, and the Treasury market likewise, which are joined at the hip right now as much as they've ever been. And you know me, I've referred to them often as the odd couple trade that bonds and and gold go up together and down together, but it's really extreme right now. And, it, and it's the bond market, not gold, that is driving this bus. Gold is along for the ride. But this morning's inflation numbers were no worse, at least, than had been uh, expected. This is probably the last month we're going to be able to say that because the numbers are going to start going up afterward. Uh, and then the bond auction, $38 billion of 10-year treasuries this afternoon, was uh, certainly not as bad as a couple of disastrous ones in recent days. Uh, and most importantly, there are signs, as I told people on Monday, uh, in advocating trades short term back into leveraged ETFs on both treasuries and gold, there are signs that Japan, uh, it was actually a buyer, a net buyer of treasuries for the first time in a while. And that's, and that's helping to, for the moment, put a floor under the bond market. We're going to come off a little bit from the high yields. And I don't know how far this rally is going to go, but I've already told people to make sure, even as we're buying these things, we want to be taking a looking around to make sure we know exactly where the exit door is when the time comes. Yeah. So let's do talk about precious metals, uh, both gold and silver, basically uh, forming a nice green hammer today. Uh, basically, it's coming off the back of what we were going to realize from the sales of these 10-year treasuries. Uh, right now, as I speak, gold uh, futures are trading 1723 silver trading $26.29. Um, you know, so obviously... The it, it bounces off continued support, specifically with gold, um, that we, we really needed that, Chris. But my concern is, is I'm just, I'm still not sold that it's sustainable. I'm not at all. And I've told people that even in advocating this added trade into gold, uh, I've told people that my expectation roughly is that we're going to go in a best case scenario, most likely up to the 1750 to 1775 an ounce, very important technical level at which gold broke down and then likely reverse. And the question at that point comes, do we have a successful retest of the recent low, which is pretty was pretty darn close to the next major chart point at 1675 an ounce, or do we crash through that? The argument that we crashed through that is that I do not believe that we have seen the peak or necessarily that close to the peak in long-term yields. Now, we've seen most of the rise, in my opinion. We started at roughly 50 basis points. 
on a 10-year treasury at its low last year. We're up to 160, closer to 150 today. And maybe we flutter back down to 140 to 120 area uh, are the two uh, areas on the chart that I told people to look at when I made my recommendation to trade in. But later on, we're going to go higher. And that's because Jerome Powell, for the second time since he has been Fed chairman, has made a very conscious decision for anybody with sense enough to understand it to actually help. He wants to ease a further correction in the markets. He wants to have some froth come out. So, for example, last week when the markets were expecting him to panic already because of the run-up in interest rates, he had no, no, no big deal. We're not going to change anything. We're not going to do anything. And then he gets seconded in that notion by his predecessor and now Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who said, no, the rise in long-term interest rates is wonderful. It shows people are happier about life again. It shows they're taking more risk. It shows the economy is going to get back to normal. Well, I got news for you. You know, he, he may have thought, and so far he's been vindicated, that if he allowed some bond market vigilantes to come out of exile and sell off treasuries a little bit, uh, and but enabling him to sell it is a good thing, that maybe it can be controllable, but at some point, what if it's not? Because here's what I believe is going to happen. Despite today's soft numbers, we're going to go the next couple, three months where the year-over-year -year comparisons are not nearly as easy, and we're coming off of absurdly low levels of economic activity and inflation both a year ago at the worst spot for the markets, et cetera. And so what happens when instead of a 0.4% rise in headline inflation and only a 0.1% rise in core inflation, those numbers get to be 0.7 and 0.3, and then they're 0.8 and 0.4 over the next two or three months. You think the market's gonna to continue to buy his uh, rose-colored glasses view that, oh, don't worry, we don't have to get sweat over this because even if we do see it bubble up a little bit, it's only transitory. Or does the bond market really in earnest start as they started to recently to call his bluff and say, okay, let's see how high you're willing to let this go. Let's see how hot you're really willing inflation uh, to, to run and we go to 2% and maybe fly right through it on a 10-year note. And then an orderly correction and everything else becomes disorderly. That rise in bond yields, to get back to the original question, will almost guaranteed cause one last leg down for precious metals, take everything else with it. Uh, and that is the point at which the Fed, as Powell did in December of 2018, after the market rebelled sufficiently and he ran up the white flag and said, forget it, I'm done normalizing, forgive me, he, he will at that point come out with whatever they have on the shelf to do to stop the rise in long-term interest rates. When that happens, that will be back up to truck time on gold. Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to believe that Jerome Powell and the Fed could continue uh, arguing for their easy monetary policies and still see these interest rates rise at the rate that they have been rising. I mean, I remember a couple of weeks ago we were concerned about that you know one fifty level on the ten year yield. Um, you know that's obviously not really come to fruition, but I think maybe does that two percent level is that the next kind of red flag area for you? It probably is. You know, 140 was an important sharp point. We went through that easily. 160 was important. We've kind of 
plateaued there for the moment. The next run at that, I believe we will go above it. And then you're then you are at about two percent, give or take a little bit. And and that's when it's going to become gut check time for everybody. It's going to be gut check time for the bond market vigilantes and those shorting treasuries thinking the Fed will allow more. And it's going to be gut check time for the Fed because I believe, and we've talked about this before, that this one or two quarter sugar rush we get in economic rebound activity, and again, from very low levels year over year, so it looks like we're going gangbusters and when we really aren't that much, okay? When that peters out, we're back to uh, an economy that's choking on mountains of debt and only plodding along. Yeah. So it, at some point, you know, we run into resistance as to just how hot inflation really can get and how hot the economy will get. But again, I think that since he has given them a little bit of rope, the bond market vigilantes are going to push this guy until somebody blinks. And it may be 2%, it may be two and a quarter, no higher than 2.4, which was a big level once upon a time. We don't have time to get into why. Um, but when you get up to numbers like that, then you really start to undermine the markets and everything. Uh, and, and I just don't think we get there. Janet Yellen herself made the point the other day about keeping interest rates modest because of the debt service costs. So guaranteed pretty much at some point, whether a crisis occurs in the markets and everything crashes and this whole thing becomes self-correcting and, and bond yields come down because of the deflationary implications of that, or with things still go, going halfway decent, but the bond market vigilantes pushing rates higher and that's starting to break everything. One way or the other, we're going to get to a point where we have a peak, whether the market enforces it or whether the Fed is forced to do it. They don't want it to have to be them anytime soon. And in fact, they've seen the example recently of Australia where the Aussie dollar was getting too strong for the RBA's taste over there. And when their yields were moving up and they came out and announced additional quantitative easing and the market laughed at them and ran them right over. So they don't, <laughs> they don't want to have happen to them what happened to Australia's central bank. So they're, they're loath to do that. But if they're forced to, they will, yeah. okay. whether it's a revival of what they once called Operation Twist where they buy more on the long end, sell some on a short end, flatten the yield curve, or they just come out and say, look, whatever the number is, we're going to buy whatever we have to do to cap the 10-year at 2%. Now test us. Yeah. Uh, Chris, while we're on this kind of continued macro discussion, again, like I said, we have a lot to cover, so let's try to keep this uh, as quick as possible. I'm just curious, given the the whiplash in the markets we saw yesterday, I mean, the NASDAQ was up like over 3%. Tesla was up like 20%. <laughs> just doesn't make any sense. But today is like, a, it, I mean, the markets are still up, but it's a completely different story. We're seeing the industrials up one and a half percent. S&P's up close to 1%. But tech, you know, just kind of uh, hanging in. They're just up uh, two tenths of a percent. Was yesterday maybe just a an anomaly, a froth based on that close to $2 trillion a spending package that, uh, well, I guess Congress has now approved. It wasn't based on a spending package. It was based on a very obvious inverse relationship. I talked about gold being joined at the hip with Treasury yields. So is the NASDAQ, but in completely the opposite way. So if you see 
uh, in the next several days or week or two, or however long this counter trend bounce lasts, uh, if you see the extreme case that I suggested, it may not quite get there, of 1.2% uh, on the 10-year, the NASDAQ will join the Dow at a new all-time high uh, because it, it is going to have a lot more leverage if interest rates soften a lot further. I think they'll soften a little further, but that is why the NASDAQ rallied yesterday was this notion that, that um, for now we've seen the peak in long-term interest rates. So guaranteed, just like I warned with gold, if in the next month or two we see the 10-year yield exceed its recent highs and keep going, you don't want to be in Tesla. You don't want to be in a NASDAQ. You don't want to be in the FANG stocks. Because up until this week, things were going exactly as the Fed wanted them. You had a correction of 10 or 12 percent in the NASDAQ with a Dow at, at a high. You had nobody panicking and taking money completely out of stocks. You had a rotation into cyclicals and stuff like that. This is exactly what the Fed wants. And they haven't had enough of it yet. So they will let, when it, the time comes, they will let rates go higher. They will let the NASDAQ correction resume. They'll let a little air come out of everything else. And they will watch corporate spreads. They'll watch liquidity measures in the markets. And for as long as this bleeding, you know, of this, 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 uh, uh, this valve, this bleeder valve that gets rid of the excess steam, as long as the boiler doesn't look like it's going to blow up, don't let it go on for a little while. But there again, will be a limit to it. We'll have to watch that as it evolves. Okay. All right. Uh, let's move on to our next item of business here, Chris. Uh, there's a couple things going on on the political side uh, that has ramifications for mining and mineral exploration and also just the supply chain. Uh, you had written in an email earlier today about uh, – being able to sit in on the uh, newly installed Department of Energy chair, Jennifer Granholm. Uh, I, th I believe this uh, discussion was yesterday. Uh, but it's really interesting. You, you got some key points that you wanted to share. So what did you take away from this discussion presentation? What should investors and in mining stocks be looking at here? Well, look, generally speaking, both uh, Energy Secretary Granholm yesterday, who is Canadian by birth, by the way, so she has a little bit better sense of the <laughs> mining industry than other people might, um, as well as today, we had as a sideline to the virtual PDAC conference, a big announcement from the province of, of Ontario that they're going to put the foot on the accelerator and really build out uh, that province's um, uh, industry when it comes to critical metals and so forth. They want to be number one, even to next door neighbor rival Quebec when it comes to critical metals and the whole EV supply chain and so forth. So some really good stuff on a part of these two governments. And of course, I think the national government, Canada, to be fair, is pretty much on board with all of this as well. Um, Secretary Granholm yesterday said a lot of really, really good stuff. I'll be writing about it more in the near term in a special issue on this very subject. She was talking about how we really need to understand as, as America that we're either going to get serious uh, about this global battery arms race and about securing our own supply chains and stuff, or we're going to get run over and left behind. 
And I mean, generally speaking, the tone of what she said was extraordinarily good, extraordinarily interesting. She's got $40 billion of loan guarantee authorization burning a hole in her pocket. So I've already talked to a couple of companies who I know and cover and say, hey, you've got a good story. Get in line, figure out who, who, who you need to get a hold of that can get in the door over there and get some of this dough because they're very serious about anything that's going to reduce carbon emissions down the road, build the EV supply chain and so forth. It's all great stuff uh, in the U.S. and Canada both. There is a bit of a cloud, however, over a lot of the good stuff that she said. And that is that in the recent past, the new Biden administration has basically thrown a monkey wrench into two high-profile projects that were in the development phase and getting ready to launch. And all of a sudden, there's a question mark. One is the Resolution Copper Mine, big underground copper mine in Arizona uh, that is a joint venture between BHP and Rio Tinto. Uh, it was just announced that the Forest Service has pulled the plug and is taking another look at that. And then you've got the um, lithium project in Nevada that um, I forget which uh, of the companies it is that has that. Um, I'm trying to look for it on my, uh, yeah, Lithium Americas, their Thacker Pass project. So now there's a cloud over that. And thirdly, a company that I recently added back to my recommended list is Polymet Mining in the old Iron Range, the Arrowhead of Minnesota, that recently uh, has had some better sentiment around it because both the Minnesota Supreme Court and a federal court threw out some of the lingering nuisance challenges to what has been a 20 plus year process to get developed one of the largest, in fact, it might still be the largest polymetallic resource that's development stage in all of North America with nickel, with cobalt, with copper, with platinum group metals. Uh, and Secretary Granholm herself yesterday made some great points about how we as Americans need to understand that some of this stuff can and should be mined in our own borders uh, for security's sake. Now we have the technology to do it safely and with a small or no carbon footprint. You know, we're not going to be having a whole rash of new Superfund sites that the government had to take over 40 or 50 years ago. But, all to, but, but now all of a sudden the EPA has just asked for 90 days to take a second look at Polymet's water permit after they've already prevailed on challenges to the granting of that permit in court. So I hope that that the cooler heads and the adults in the room, like Senator Granholm, who's a very bright woman and very knowledgeable in these areas, prevail. Because if instead we have some of the environmental wackos that think that uh, Elon Musk has a magical extrusion machine that just spits out Teslas without having to put copper and cobalt and lithium and all the rest of these things in it, we're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And we have a president who doesn't half the time know what day of the week it is. And we can't let him you know, get influenced by some of these people who are going to undermine America's move toward a green economy as fast as it's trying to get off the ground. So uh, I guess in one sense, I'm glad that I've got way more Canadian companies on my list than U.S. ones right now. I don't want it to stay that way, but we'll see. This is a very touchy time right now to see if the administration and, and the capable people in it, like Secretary Granholm, are going to shepherd this new vital industry forward, 
or if the you know the far left is going to get its way with the Biden administration and we start killing these projects again. It's not a I'm not really happy with what I've seen in recent days. Did, did anybody ask uh, Secretary Granholm about kind of backtracking of these projects while she was being so you know bullish to get this type of work done in America? Nobody said asked anything specific about any of those three things I just mentioned. Interesting. She did say thematically that she thinks, and to her credit, she thinks it's wrong. And then Ad, Admiral Blair, who is the chairman of Securing America's Future Energy, the think tank that hosted this, this call yesterday, uh, the two of them together were saying that we as Americans need to stop being hypocrites. You know, when we have the ability to safely and securely mine these things in our own four borders, uh, within our own four walls, I'm sorry, why do we want to continue to, to sentence little black kids in the Congo to work up into in mud and chemicals up to their armpits for them to get cobalt and things like that so that we don't have to see it in our neighborhood? That's terrible. Well, it also, you know, sitting back and hearing all this, it almost seems like it's... Uh would be a political win not only for uh, the Biden administration but for Democrats in general to take some of these steps that really really caught caught wind behind a Trump administration that America first adding jobs it's a win to get to whatever the end game is of climate uh, c- combating climate change on the Democrats platform uh, and to like I just think there's po- it's going to take some political will to make that happen. It's not going to take much, but I think the benefits, not only economically and for the, um, you know, for manufacturing, but also just to, to get some some more voters, so it's not so polarized, to realize Look, that it's you know maybe we can work hand in hand with this thing. Does that make there sense? Is overwhelming, as Secretary Granholm fairly pointed out, there is overwhelming bipartisan support for this. I've pointed out, I think, with you previously that the broad financial and market framework that's going to be underneath all of this, of this whole system of carbon credits and dividends and whatnot, was written by two high-profile Republicans 30 years ago, the now late George Shultz and the still-living Jim Baker, who were old Reagan-Bush hands. You know, this is something that has massive support. And if Secretary Granholm was a final decision maker, I wouldn't have a worry in the world because she very clearly indicated yesterday that she understands that where it can be done safely and where companies like Polymet, uh, at least in that case that I know of, I don't know all the details of the other two I mentioned, but I sure as hell have followed Polymet for over 20 years. And when those companies have already dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's, uh, sometimes more than once, why put them through more torture when this is something that is a clear and present danger to our national security now that we don't control our own destiny and the biggest role, the biggest thing in the global economy coming. She pointed out that just from the whole change and evolution of electrification in the world, you are talking about a $23 trillion dollar industry in the next 10 years. Are we going to continue to sit back and and let China process all the rare earths part of that? Are we going to sit back and let little kids in the Congo continue to mine what we need for that? When in both of those cases and a lot more, we can be doing it here. So I hope that's not where we're going to go, but I'm a little worried today. And you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm not for against Trump or Biden. 
And yes, if she had her way, she would be continuing just about everything that Trump's energy department started under Rick Perry and Dan Brouillette. But when you have people in these administrative agencies who are these, you know, academic starry-eyed ideologues that, again, like I quipped a few minutes ago, think that Tesla's come out of Elon Musk's magical extrusion machine. We don't need to mine anything that goes into it, and we shouldn't. You know, then we're then we're going to be screwed. So this is going to be a very dicey time to see which of these forces is going to prevail. All right, uh, Chris. I hope you keep us abreast of uh, of this continued uh, research and conversations you're having uh, from the political spectrum of of all this. I think it's really fascinating, and so obviously uh, it feels like we're in a fork in the road right now. You know, we are. Yeah. We are. Okay. Um, real quick, I do. I I'd be Reminisce if I uh, didn't ask you, there was uh, finally, Chris, big news out of M&A today. Newmont Gold announced that it was going to be acquiring GT Gold in a, get this, how long, it has, I can't remember the last time, we got an all cash deal with a 38% premium on it. Uh, the deal was for $456 million Canadian. Um you know, we've been looking for this type of deal in junior mining for, God, maybe two years now. Uh, it, it, this is a good sign, right? We're starting, hopefully this is something to see these majors coming in and uh, swapping up some of these good junior projects because it's been known for the last month as their financials have come out that reserves are being depleted and they have to find a way to fill the coffers back up. Well, look, there's no question, and that is one of the strongest underlying themes that supports what is still, for me, a long-term bullish thesis for gold, even if near-term we're still in some, some trouble as far as the gold price is concerned. But look, when you see uh, a correction like we've had in the gold price of, what, 400 bucks or, or thereabouts from the high of last August, uh, a lot of the emer the exploration stocks have got hit pretty hard. Uh, some of the producers even have got hit. You know, Newmont, uh, and I don't know a great deal about the details, so I'll just take this uh, observation from the 30,000-foot level, but they obviously are making a bet that not only does GT have good assets that they were willing to pay a premium for, but that, more importantly, we're near the end of this correction, and, and this is a market timing call for them, too. Yep. So... I, I tend to agree with that. We may still go down to fourteen fifty to fifteen fifty in an absolute worst case scenario if the ten year treasury exceeds two percent. But that would be short lived. And if we get to that point, I'm gonna my truck is gonna be ahead of yours <laughs> to back up <laughs> and be buying. And new model probably be there too for, you know, for another deal. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even if even at seventeen hundred dollar gold, uh, Chris. It, I still am waiting for the miners to continue to be added to this value trade here. I mean, it just seems like a no-brainer anymore. But obviously, I'm biased. But here's, but here's the problem. And whether any of us like it or not, or anybody listening likes it or not, gold and silver stocks, but especially gold, are absolutely not put in the same camp as lithium stocks and copper stocks and energy stocks and the rest. So gold is suffering right now because everything else has done so well. And you follow my stuff. You know what my timing calls have been uh, on the sector. And I think I've done pretty darn good getting people out of our trading positions at the top both last February and in the summer when gold hit its peak. But look, we, we've, we've seen 
what gold right after Biden was declared the winner was 1950 bucks or something. We were all told that it was going to rip higher because now Biden's president. Oh, gee, now Janet Yellen is Treasury Secretary. Oh, goody, the Democrats just won the Senate as well. So it's going to be full tilt boogie inflation and fiscal stimulus and all the rest. And what has gold done but drop 300 bucks? And it's because everything else is done so well. And it might sound counterintuitive to some, but as I said before, when we get to crisis mode with interest rates, when we hit a wall with this reflation and inflation trade, uh, will be the time to back up the truck on gold. But unfortunately, to some extent, it may be at the expense of everything else that has done well up to this point as far as commodities. We'll, we'll have to see how this plays out. Chris, appreciate your time. Longer episode and market recap for today. But uh, again, there's a lot to cover. Appreciate your time. And uh, we look forward to having you back on here in a couple of weeks to follow up on, see how things are looking here. Okay, take care, Trevor. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decision.